0: Hello, welcome to our Lighthouse podcast. We hope that this message brings inspiration and intent to your day. We're going to have some fun today. Uh, We're going to talk about excellence. And of course, excellence is one of the lenses that Lighthouse view its world through. We're going to talk about these things because they're important to us. It's kind of like our Why? And excellence is important, you know, though, the first thing that comes to mind when I say the word excellence is uh like the gold embroidery in the motto of a private school badge on a jacket. Like scholarship, sportsmanship, and excellence. You know, on the on the badge. And I can see all uh all my public school homies out there saying, yeah, yeah, stick it to them, Andy. Those private school nerds. And then my private school homies, on the other hand, they're sitting there going, oh yeah, what school did you go to? <laughs> well, I, I'm a friend to you all, okay? Before you pull out the crosshairs on me, I didn't go to a public school, nor did I go to a private school, nor was I homeschooled. Thank you, Lord. I, I went to an independent Dutch reformed christian school that's right let me tell you what their motto was we're right you're wrong about everything <laughs> you can you can hear it though that wasn't it was a good school lisa and i both went there we were high school sweethearts and they they produced us so they must be doing something all right um But you can see, right, even as we mention the word, in in 30 seconds, we can see there's traps to the pursuit of excellence, right? There's traps to it. It can kind of come off a bit snobby if we pursue it the wrong way. It can kind of come off a little bit arrogant, maybe a bit prideful. And I think that's one of the traps that we have to consider about the pursuit of excellence. We've got to be careful of that. You know, if if excellence goes the wrong way, it becomes about... um, pursuing everything that we know the the most like when it comes to us being together if we're pursuing excellence in the wrong posture it's about us worshiping something we don't know maybe even like idol worship it becomes about worshiping how excellent we are rather than the other pursuit so when I say that when I say idol worship what's the first bible story that comes to mind go ahead Don't be shy, call it out. Baal, Baal. something about Baal, yes, Baal worship. What else? A a specific story. Golden calf, thank you very much. That was definitely the first one that came to my mind. And that's where we're going this morning. Um, And just as I open the Bible, I'd like to pray. uh, Just as we open the Bible together, we talk about the meaning of these stories. I want to pray for us because I could could literally stand here for the rest of the day and tell jokes and, and talk stories about the Bible, but unless the Holy Spirit breathes some meaning into it for you, it won't make a difference. I could be as funny as you like, or maybe not as funny as you like. But unless the Holy Spirit breathes some meaning from these stories into your life, and it, it, it changes you and transforms the way you think, then I'm just wasting my time up here, and we're wasting our time being here together. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a gift it was to bring your Holy Spirit into our lives. As we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior of our life, we have access to Him. I pray, God, as as we each think and approach these stories, God, as I speak the meaning of these stories, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would breathe meaning into them for us, that it would be truth for us, that it would empower us to live good lives, lives that flourish and thrive and lives that bring you glory, God. As we open the text and and read the words on the page, God, I thank you for the men and women who faithfully gave their time, energy, and sometimes their own blood so that we could have these stories in our hand today. I thank you for their sacrifice, and I look forward to seeing what you're going to teach us as we open it and look at these stories together this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come, make us gods. So isn't that funny? Like, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, he brought us out of Egypt. We don't know what's happened to him. He's up the mountain, by the way, praying and spending time with God. Aaron answered them, okay, Take off your gold earrings that your wives and sons and daughters are wearing. Bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings of gold and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf. That's funny, so remember that. Uh, And then uh, he said to the people, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and said, Tomorrow... We'll have a festival to the Lord. Now, pay attention. If you're reading, Lord is written in capital letters. And when you read Lord in capital letters in the Bible, what you have to remember is that is the holiest, the most set aside, the most special name for God there is. In Hebrew, it's it's unspeakable. It's so special. We say it Yahweh. That's how we say it. In Hebrew, it's, it's a, the way that the word is built. You can't even say it because there's no uh, consonants to make the vowels ma- sound words. You can't even speak the word. It's so special. Aaron's saying, this is who we'll be worshipping. We're going to do it by putting a golden calf on an altar and saying, yee praise the golden calf. Thank you, God. Okay, so here's the thing. The Israelites still wanted to worship God but the way they were doing it was what they knew, what they had learned, what they picked up in their time in Egypt and by observing the cultures around them. They still wanted to worship God, but the way they were doing it was about worshipping what they knew, not who knew them. So the next day, the people rose early and they sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. I don't know what that is. Like fellowship kind of like friendship. I wonder what a friendship offering is. Is it like... Is it anyone? Like flowers? A box of chocolates? Here, I brought my fellowship offering. It's, I don't know, what would you give? You sacrifice your friends? <laughs> Just looking at which friend of mine would go first. <laughs> fellowship offerings. Then God spoke with Moses and he said, go down off the mountain to your people, the ones you brought out of Egypt. They've become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them. Because just like six chapters ago, God literally said three times, don't make idols, don't make an image, don't worship God, that's not me. Okay, he, he just said it. And they made it in the shape of a, uh, they've made a shape, they have serving an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are our gods who brought us up out of Egypt. This is God speaking now. This is his words out of his lips. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are stiff-necked people. And when I read this and I was was praying about it, I was like, God, what's the message for us this this weekend? And this stiff-necked, God drew my attention to this word. And um. I kind of know what stiff neck mean by implication, you know, it's like kind of stubborn or proud. But I'm like, but what does it actually mean? Like, why did God, or why did the authors of the Bible choose to use that word? Like, I've had a stiff neck before, and it's not, it's not fun. Like, hey, Andy, you know the stiff neck? Have you ever had one? I've been called stiff necked a couple of times by my teachers at the Independent Dutch Reformed Christian School. <laughs> But I didn't really know what was the essence of being stiff-necked. And so, of course, I got out my commentaries and read it up. And it refers to working with cattle, particularly back in the days when the Bible was written. And when you were moving cattle around or an ox or a cow or something like that, you had this thing called a goad. And it was a stick with a metal barb at the end of it, right? So it's not like cruel, but just enough to catch the skin of the animal on the neck. So you kind of like walk behind it. And it wasn't on a lead or anything like that because Lord knows if the thing was going to run and you were holding a lead, you're going with it. Rather, what they taught the cow to do from a very young age was just if they give it a little catch, a prick on the neck with the little metal hook, it would turn its head and then what would happen? The beast would turn as well. So they'd catch it and it would just turn it. Now, if you had a particularly stubborn beast, stiff neck, you'd catch it and it'd be like... (laughs) and it would keep going so it's called stiff necked and get this they make a calf They, they literally make a calf a solid gold calf and god calls them you stiff necked people see what i did there see what god did there he's so he's humorous right i mean he was upset he was angry but he was reminding the people out of their own lesson you're you're trying to worship me based on what you know about me rather than who I am. They're worshiping what they knew, not who knew them. And God's trying to remind them, it's not about the pictures, it's not about the idols, it's about my character. And you have to know that. What does that tell us? How much of our worship is about what we know how much of our worship is based on the traditions and practices that we've done all the time and never really thought about why? How much of our relationship with God is based on knowledge of Him rather than Him knowing us? Maybe you go, yeah, but that's an Old Testament story. It doesn't apply to me now because I've got Jesus. <laughs> well, so did the church at Corinth. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth, come with me, 1 Corinthians 8. Paul writes, now a little bit of context about this letter. 1 Corinthians, we think, is actually 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians. Because what we think, but we don't know for certain, is that there was a first letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. Teaching them all about the wonderful things about the faith they'd come to when he visited there. And then they've written a letter in response, asking him all these questions about how to live the Christian life well. And so 1 Corinthians is a response to those things. So they've asked him about marriage and family. They've asked him about suing people and taking them to court. Is that what Christians do? I don't know. They've asked him about food sacrifice to idols. Because Corinthian obviously had a very vivid, colorful spirituality. Lots of different cultures came through there. Lots of different gods were worshipped. And there was lots of different like pagan festivals, where food would be sacrificed to idols, and then people would eat the food in a celebration. And I suspect that the church of Corinth was divided on the matter. Hence, they're writing to Paul, looking for some knowledge about this thing. They're saying, Paul, like some of our people, you wouldn't believe what they do. They go to the festivals, and they eat the food sacrificed to idols, and they sit there at the table with the sinners, and eat their food. Can you believe it? And then there's probably those people sitting at the tables, right, going, Pff. those conservative Corinthians, always hanging it on us for partying with the locals, When really, we just want to hang out and tell them about Jesus. Gosh, so right wing, aren't they? And you see this, this this unity approaching. Watch what Paul says. Absolutely genius. So I love how I love how that we've picked it up in the English. Now, about food sacrifice to idols, like just like casual throwaway. He's about to drop some wisdom that is like timeless. And he's like, now, about food sacrifice to idols. Listen to this. We know that. We all possess knowledge. It's okay. We all know stuff. But knowledge puffs up while love. Builds up those who think they know something they don't know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Paul's teaching the Corinthians, he's like, Guys, you're looking at this from the wrong perspective. Okay, you're trying to prove that you're right or that they're wrong based on what you know about God when really. Love of God is about being known by Him, not celebrating what you know about Him, but being known by Him. That's what being loved by God is. And he goes on to teach that if eating food sacrificed to idols doesn't harm you and it gives you an opportunity to preach His kingdom, awesome, go and do it. But if it's causing your brothers and sisters who believe to get really riled up and angry, then chill out. Don't do it. Just be cool. Stop. But don't do anything if it's not about putting yourself in the posture of being known by God. That's scary. Stop and think about that for a second. The God who spoke stars into being. The God who generates those enormous waves we saw hitting our coastline a couple weekends ago. And suffered the effects from. (laughs) That God wants to know you, not just know your courage and your humor and your intelligence. He wants to know your fears, the things that you're ashamed of, the things that make you feel guilty. He wants to know those things. And I can tell you, he is so gentle with those when you actually bring them to him. But he wants to know them. It takes humility. Oh, man, it takes humility to let him know those things. But when you offer those to him, you will feel a love in your life that you cannot find in anything else. You can take that to the bank. And this is what Paul's saying. Those who God knows, he loves. Simple, simple wisdom. So what does it look like when we we don't feel if God knows us or not? It's easy, I can tell you. Your emotions will actually tell you. When you walk into an environment that would ordinarily be uh, spiritual, like church or worship, and it all feels fake or familiar, your emotions are trying to tell you that God's not really knowing you in that space perhaps your knowledge of Him, or what you know about worship, or what you know about church, or the biases you have about church, or the biases about how you think worship should go, or how you think preaching should go. All that knowledge is standing in the way of God knowing you. It becomes fake and familiar, and you miss the moments of awe and wonder that God has got ready for you to feel. Let me tell you or show you a quick story about that. Um, Just very recently in the school holidays, as you know, I I love the wilderness, I love hiking, I love all those adventures, and I took my son, 10-year-old Micaiah, um, into the Shoalhaven Gorge. And uh, we we put our packs on and we walked down 400 vertical metres down to the bottom of the gorge, camped on the river. It was beautiful. Now, this is a trip that I've done in my career as an outdoor guide. I reckon, conservative estimate, This was probably about the 51st time I've been into that gorge. So I know the place like the back of my hand. I know all the trails. I know the big features. I can name things without looking at a map, all that kind of stuff. And so um, as my familiarity with the place kind of uh, increased, it kind of like takes my eyes off the wonder of the place a little bit. You know, I've seen it before. Is that you? That's my question. Have you been around church so long? That I, I've seen it before. I, I know that, I've seen it before. I was I was walking up the hill and uh I can hear Micaiah just breathtaking. Like, God, oh, Dad, it's so wonderful. Look at that view, look at this. And I'm like, Yep, it's pretty good. You're doing good by the way, pal. I'm, I'm looking at my feet now, going, and there's all this wonder around me. And then something very special happens. We have this God moment. I'm going to call it the or-goat moment. Take a look at this. Hey, <laughs> you see the wonder in his eyes I'd missed all of that because of how familiar I was I had literally come up that trail numerous times on my own numerous times with a group numerous times with complaining teenagers from a private school who had excellence written on their thing <laughs> I'm walking up there with my son looking at my feet going this is probably I wonder how many steps I've actually taken on this trail it will be in the thousands by now And I hear Kai go, Dad, a goat. And we look up and standing on the cleft of this incredible uh, rock is this shaggy, dirty mountain goat, billy goat with a beard and a horn broken off. And we are both like stopped in our tracks in awe of this incredible animal just like lording it over us. And so we like stopped and we filmed it and and Kai's eyes were so bright. And we followed it and it was skittering up the trail. And man, this thing, the way it moves across the rocky ground is incredible. We like got packs on and like one step is hard enough. And here is this goat that's just nimbly popping around. My familiarity had caused me to stop seeing the awe in the moment. And I want to warn us against that. As we get to celebrate so often now together, as we get to come together, don't let your familiarity blind you to the incredible things that God does when His people come together and pursue excellence together, and that He begins to know us more as His people. Don't lose sight of that moment. There's a great teaching on this in the Bible. In Revelation, actually, if you'll go with me there, to Revelation 4, John One of Jesus' good good friends writes this incredible story, this spirit-filled story of a vivid description of what heaven is like. And he, he paints this incredible picture. And in chapter four, verse six, he also he also says this. Also, in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal, and in the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. They were covered in eyes front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox, not a stiff-necked ox, just a regular ox. The third had a face like a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings, and they were covered in eyes all around, even under the wings, so you know they could see. Really well. And not twenty twenty, like 100-100, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, 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 that means like set apart, wonderful, different, amazing, is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And pause for a second, I want to go into that very moment of the dream. You could even imagine you're one of those fantastic creatures, if you like, and this is what we're doing. <laughs> Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. you got three of your friends. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's a wing, by the way. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I'm coming around for my third lap. And I'm starting to feel a bit bored. And I know you are. I can see your faces. Flying around in circles, saying the same thing every couple of seconds, day and night, forever. Did you get that for a second? Round and round in circles, saying the same thing every single day, every single night, forever. It doesn't sound like heaven to me. It sounds like the opposite. Dare I say it? Round and round in circles, same thing, day and night, forever. Unless, unless, the thing that they're flying around, the God that they're flying around, the center of the universe that they're flying around is so awe-inspiring that every single pass they take, they see Him with their thousand-thousand vision from a different angle, a different perspective that lights up their hope, that it causes them to be inspired. And they're like, no way. You should see this part of him. It's incredible. And the ox is like, can you believe this? The kindness that he has? The eagle's like, whoa, he's so courageous. He died on the cross, even though all his friends let go. And he was betrayed by the whole community. And then the, the... the the man-shaped one's like, my goodness, his knowledge is so far-reaching. I could study him for the rest of my life and I would feel like I know less every single time. (sighs) If we cannot worship God with a sense of awe, it's like flying round and round in circles, saying the same thing every single day, every single night, for the rest of eternity. But if you can be surprised... If you can find a posture of awe in everything you do, if you can resist familiarity and ask God, God, how are you going to surprise me today? Then, then you will see something new about him every single step you take. Or is a spiritual posture. Or is waking up every single day and going, God, how will you surprise me in this? Or is, is, a, is a posture where you're walking and there's a corner, and you're like, God, are you going to be around the corner? I I don't know if you're going to be around the corner, but by faith, I'm going to believe you're around that corner. God is through every single door. He's in every single relationship. He's in your work. He's in your friendships. He's in your family. He's in the morning when you come to church. He's in the sunshine. He's in the bird song. He's even in mountain goats, for crying out loud. When you lose your sense of awe in God, you lose your ability to worship him with truth and and sincerity. And I pray that you never lose your sense of awe. And if you're going to hold on to a sense of awe, then you have to humble yourself so that you can be known by God in deep ways. True worship looks like humble awe every single day. And it's a gift. It's a a way to live that's so fulfilling and, and causes you to thrive in your life so well. It's going to cost you. You have to actually sacrifice your, all your knowledge, you know. Jesus puts it best, as always. And he says, there's a time coming. In fact, it's here right now when the true worshippers will worship God in spirit and in truth. That is the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is looking for people who walk through their life with a humble sense of awe every single day. My prayer is that we can be a church that walk out of these doors into their community every single day with a humble sense of awe. Why don't you stand for a second? I want to invite you to close your eyes so that you get a moment to just kind of personally reflect and respond on the chat we've had this morning. Holy Spirit, we prayed that you'd breathe meaning into this for us. And I I believe, I have faith that you have. God, whatever our response to that invitation of our pursuit of you being excellent, because it's from a humble position of awe, whether that feels convicting or whether it feels encouraging, God, I, I pray that you would be through all of that. And now, I want to open an opportunity for anyone gathered here with us today who wants to walk through life in that humble or inspired posture. I want to tell you that there's only one way to experience that. And that is by saying that Jesus is the Lord and Saviour of your life. That in Him we find the rescue and the encouragement to live in a humble or inspired posture. I want to give you that invitation today. And if that's you, I invite you to just boldly raise your hand as a sign, as a symbol, as a commitment to, yeah, I want that. I want Jesus to be my Savior and I want to be walking in a humble posture of awe. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if... The familiarity component of what I was talking about where sometimes life and life in God can feel like an uphill plod looking at your feet. Oh, I want to invite you now not to make a decision for Jesus for the first time but with your body to show that you want to live in a humble or inspired posture. So I'm going to invite you to raise both hands. Go oh, and put them up. It's an incredible thing what your body does when you when you do a physical thing your body actually responds mentally emotionally and spiritually when you stand there with your hands up saying god i want to be humbled i surrender actually i surrender my ego my pride everything i know because i want to be known by you incredible incredible thank you for listening please connect with us at a different or join us at one of our sunday gatherings